appreciate those. So there's sign-up sheets in the back for that. Please sign up as soon as you know that you can help. Um, like I said in the past, it's a great outreach to our community, um, and uh, we have a great opportunity to serve them with this fall festival. So if you have any questions about that, you can see me. Um, it's on October 30th, which is a Sunday from 5 to 7. Um, also happening soon is our fourth annual Student Pumpkin Smash. So that is going to be the uh, November the 6th, which is the first Sunday in November. We're switching it up a little bit this, this year, and uh, that's a great opportunity for students to come out. We'll have devotions, food, and then we smash pumpkins. It's exactly what it sounds like. So um, we always love to do that um, as a student ministry. So if you have any questions about that, you can see me as well. And then coming up in November, another student event is Reverb. Um, it is our all-night um, spend the night but don't sleep event that we go to and uh, every year it's a little bit more difficult for me to get pumped up for it um, but it's going to be good so it is uh, it takes place at a couple of different places uh, but we're getting signed up for it so if you have any questions about that you can see me I'm going to have a sign up sheet next week for that so as we get started this morning like I said if you have any questions about any of those announcements please see me and uh, we will point you in the right direction. But as we prepare to prepare to worship this morning, I'm going to pray and then we're going to we're going to worship together. Lord, we just uh we thank you so much for your just your glory. And uh Lord, I think oftentimes I I miss that within my prayer life, Lord, just how just how glorious you are. And uh Lord, as we begin this service together and uh, we begin to transition our hearts and our minds to, to worshiping you, Lord, I pray that we would never lose sight of just how wonderful you are, the character of, your, of, of who you are, Lord, the fact that you have shown us grace and mercy far beyond anything that we could ever ask or imagine, Lord, that we get a chance, Lord, to have this time to worship you together when so many others don't have that chance. Lord, that you've blessed us with a, a place to come and a people to come to and, a, and, and, and instruments and your word and just all the things that we have, Lord, that, that give us a chance to worship you, Lord. I'm just, I'm just in awe of the blessings that you've given us. So, Lord, I pray that that would be on our hearts and minds as we worship, Lord, that you would keep, our, keep us in step with you just that we come together as a as a family lord as as the people of god with one objective which is to glorify you above all else lord just uh pray that you would lead us and guide us this morning in that in your name we pray amen good morning if you'll stand we're going to begin worship this morning we're singing praise him praise him Jesus, our blessed Redeemer, sing. 
wasn't it? And that was a really bad morning to not have my glasses because I can't see any of that. So just to be safe, we're going to pull a hymnal over here. Last week when Neil was preaching, he quoted the verse of all hail the power of Jesus' name. And since this week we're getting part two of that sermon, um, I felt like it would be appropriate for us to sing that song that he in fact quoted last week. So will you sing all hail the power of Jesus' name with me? Good morning again, everyone here. I got a one public service announcement to make before I read our scripture before the sermon today. Uh, food pantry is in good shape with food. We are in good shape financially, but peanut butter. We have zero peanut butter. We might have one of the big jars, but we need the little jars. So as y'all go to the grocery store, from now till the end of the year, you go by the peanut butter aisle and you confiscate as much as your heart leads upon you on the shelves. Uh, we really enjoy giving out peanut butter. Uh, uh, we put food out there for so many children. Uh, I don't know the exact number, but I hear Crystal holler Jean out, seems like every time she comes back into the door. And when we all hear that word Jean out, we know that family has children. Uh, just a quick update on that. Uh, the state of Georgia, in conjunction with whatever's going on with the federal government when it comes to uh, food supply 
the state of Georgia has opted out of what we call GNAP. Uh, GNAP foods, which usually contain a lot of peanut butter, uh, the G GNAP foods are no longer available from the Atlanta Community Food Bank. Uh, we're going to continue that program with schools because it's our option to do that. Uh, but in order to do that, you know, we're going to need peanut butter. The Atlanta Community Food Bank just cannot seem to keep it. Uh, you've got to look every day at what's in their inventory. And because there's so many people that pick up in the metro Atlanta area that they take all the peanut butter that's out there that day. So, for instance, if I looked and saw peanut butter in the morning, I'd have to place an order and go pick up just that peanut butter to keep it from getting away. Uh, every third Monday, I go to Peachtree City and pick up food. Uh, we usually go in our box truck that we have out there in a the parking lot. But uh, tomorrow, Box truck would be used uh, to take the backpacks uh, in that program. And so I'll be going with a, a pretty long trailer so we can pick up our usual four or five pallets. But pray for us as I'm on the road tomorrow with a new vehicle. vehicle. Uh, I'm not used to driving vehicles with goosenecks on them, but, <laughs> but I'll survive. Y'all pray for me tomorrow. Our scripture uh, today is in uh, 1 Peter uh, chapter 3, and I'm going to read verses 8 through 18, and I'm reading from the NASB version. To sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. And those of you that remember ex about what that says is the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for that very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Verse 10 through 12 is from Psalms chapter 34, verses 12 through 16. For the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Do not gossip. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is there to harm if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled. 
but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to, to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience, so that in the thing in which you are trained, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better, if God would will it so, that you suffer for what is right rather than doing what is wrong. For Christ also died for the sins once for all, for the sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having put having been put to death in the flesh and made alive in the spirit. Amen. He'll stand, we'll sing it together again. I'm going to sing My Savior's Love. <clears throat>
gracious Heavenly Father, God, Lord, how grateful and thankful we are for the way you love us, God. Lord, um, just an agape love that's all-compassing, yet all-knowing, God, and all-forgiving, God, all-merciful and all-graceful, Lord. We just thank you for the way that you love each one of us and how that love came through a Savior, God, um, who just wonderfully and marvelously died in place of our sins, God. Um, Lord, I, I love the line that says, um, it was sweat drops of blood for, for me, God. Lord, um, we just praise your name this morning, and we um, come to you just humbly eager to hear your voice this morning and feel your spirit move, God, as we look at the second part of when Jesus was sentenced, God. May we each be convicted of certain things in our life, God, and Lord, may we just be drawn to love you and value and appreciate you more. We just love you and praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Children are going with um, the children's church in the back. Okay, good morning. It's great to see all of you here for worship. What a joy to gather again. And um, we'll give us a moment to figure out which mic I'm working from. We good? Randy just gave me the thumbs up. His balls beat Alabama yesterday, so glad Randy's not somewhere swimming in the Tennessee River this morning, but he's, he's back at his post at Glenlock Baptist Church, so thanks be to God for our sound and technology people. Luke chapter 23, if you have your Bibles, please turn there. This is actually week two of a sermon that I thought I might get through last Sunday morning, but um, I should have known better. I'm going to pick up in verse 13. Jesus is sentenced. Jesus is sentenced by Pilate. And I want us to learn again how this affects us. We too are sentenced. We are under the judgment of the curse of God upon, upon sin, or we are sentenced to a life of discipleship under the cross. I guess which sentence will it be uh, is the issue for us personally. So Christ is sentenced, and we want to think more about how this sentence affects us. So in my studies, I uh, gleaned from this 12 words. We got Three of them last week. I'm aiming for four this week. Then we'll get the last five next week. So please continue on with the sequence. But Luke 23, 13, look at what it says. Pilate summoned the chief priests and the rulers and the people. Pilate had a lot of power and control, didn't he? He just, look at this. He summoned the chief priests, the rulers, and the people. And he said to them, you brought this man to me. As one who incites the people to rebellion, and behold, having examined him before you, I have found no guilt in this man regarding the charges which you make against him. No, nor has Herod, for he sent him back to us, and behold, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish him and release him. And he thinks that this is going to satisfy the people. He was obliged... Verse 17, some of your versions have this. It's not in some of the manuscripts, which is why it's bracketed in some versions. 
He was obliged to release to them at the feast one prisoner. But they cried out all the more, this mob, saying, Away with this man, release for us Barabbas. He was one who had been thrown into prison for a certain insurrection made in the city and for murder. That was Barabbas' sentence. And Pilate, wanting to release Jesus, addressed them again. But they kept calling out, saying, Crucify, crucify him. And he said to them the third time, Why? What evil has this man done? Why is Jesus such a threat? I've found in him no guilt demanding death. I will therefore punish him and release him. But they were insistent with loud voices asking that he be crucified. And their voices began to prevail. And Pilate pronounced sentence that their demand should be granted. He released the man they were asking for, who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, but he delivered Jesus to their will. So one of our thoughts last week went something like this. You and I, guilty and sentenced like Barabbas, have also been released and set free, and Christ has been crucified in our place. How should a Barabbas live after being granted so much mercy and grace? How should we live? Then we move to this next person, Simon of Cyrene. So when they led Jesus away, they laid hold of, these Roman soldiers seized Simon, this visitor into the city, who just happened to be there because of the Passover. They laid hold of him. Simon of Cyrene, he's coming in from the country. And they place on him the cross to carry behind Jesus. So not only was Jesus sentenced, and not only was Barabbas released from his just sentence, but Simon of Cyrene has been now temporarily sentenced to a life beneath the cross. So we think through, what is it like to be a Barabbas? And then we think through what is it like to be Simon of Cyrene and having the weight and pressure of the cross forced upon you. How does one live in light of that kind of temporary sentence that had a good end? And I hope today to get to that good end. The cross he carries behind Jesus. But then I want to move on a few more verses into the story. Because they were following him a great multitude of the people and women who are mourning and lamenting. Look at this sad scene. It's so unfair. It's so unrighteous. It's so unjust. This is a a faulty sentencing here that we have witnessed. So they're mourning and they're lamenting. But Jesus turned to them and said, so he's carrying the cross. Simon is behind him. Yet he still has the strength to pronounce upon them a sentence. Now let's stop and think. That's, that's a, this is a shocking moment. Because Jesus has been judged and he has been sentenced. But in the midst of their mourning and their wailing and their crying, he still is the ultimate judge. He's not so much the judged as he is the judge 
Because he says to these women who seem to be, I would think, responding appropriately, mourning and crying, he says to them, daughters of Jerusalem, stop weeping for me. But weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us. And to the hills, cover us. He's pointing to a more severe judgment, a much greater sentence of the judgment from God and people crying out for relief from the mountains and the hills. And then this is an interesting parable, riddle. Jesus says, if, if they're doing these things in the green tree, what's going to happen in the dry? In other words, if things are this bad now and the Messiah, God, has come down, how in the world is it going to be when things are completely dry and judgment has come? Then what is the situation going to be like? Jesus says, don't weep for me. He knows where this is going. Weep for those who remain under the sentence of God's wrath and God's judgment. Father, we humble ourselves before you and your word today, recognizing that we are either sentenced to a life under the cross, which leads to salvation and glory, or we remain under the sentence of the curse of the fall and of sin and death and judgment, may our pity and our sorrow be properly placed upon the condition of fallen humanity under sin. And then may our joy and our life take on new shape and meaning as children of the cross, compelled to carry behind Christ our Savior. This life of discipleship may... May we learn what you desire for us to learn from this text today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, a little bit different approach from me over the last couple of weeks because I think we know the message of the cross, but I'm not sure we understand it and apply it in the proper way. So that's what I'm helping, hoping that, that, that I will do and that we will do together. So let me start out by saying the cross changes the vocabulary of your life. The cross will change the vocabulary of your life. Not just what you say with your mouth, but the vocabulary of how you live. And so I'm coming up this week, last week, and next week with some words that we need to introduce into the life of our vocabulary now that we see Christ being sentenced to die on our behalf. So there's a lot of angles to this. There's a way in which I'm Barabbas. There's a way in which I'm Simon. There's a way in which I'm these ladies, these women who are lamenting in Jerusalem over really the wrong thing. But last week, the first three words were faith. No, scratch that. The first word was repentance. <laughs> i got to work back through my own notes mentally. The first word was repentance. The second word was faith. 
And the third word was worship. So those are words that we need to introduce into the vocabulary of our life and that I need to live a life of repentance. I need to live a life of faith. I need to live a life of worship. Now yesterday we had the memorial service, life celebration for Judy Whittemore, who I thought lived a life of worship. And so I talked a little bit about her in the, the message yesterday at her service, but before I get into that, I'm now reminded her son Jay, who shared her eulogy yesterday, asked me to thank this church for the love and the ministry to Joe and to Judy, not only while they were here together playing, but especially yesterday, uh, the ladies and, 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 and men who served and cooked, thank you. That The family thanks you for feeding them and loving on them the way you did, uh, not only yesterday, but, but in the past week. So during the service yesterday, Judy's son Jay introduced into some people's vocabulary a new word. And that word was game changer. If you were here yesterday, he kind of squealed on her a little bit. And he said that during your sermons, Neil, sometimes she would be on her phone on the Game Changer app. Now, I had a couple of people ask me after the service, what is Game Changer? So take out your phone and go, no, don't do that. <laughs> Joyce is on the phone over here. <laughs> no, I'm I'm familiar with the word game changer in that app because I have a son who played baseball and oftentimes you can go on that app and even if you're not there, you can watch pitch by pitch and game by game what's happening with your child or your team. So I was familiar with game changer. I'm, 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 I'm savvy with that vocabulary. It's, it's part of, of my lingo. But for some people, that was new. To Judy Whittemore, it was not. She was very familiar because of her love for sports and her grandchildren with the word game changer. Now, I'm using this to bridge to us that the cross puts us into, or rather presses us, if we want to use the Simon of Serene image, the cross presses into our hearts and lives these words that, that the world may hear about and they may have their own definitions of, but to you and I, we know humility and love and endurance and worship. So these words are weighty and they're heavy, and for the child of God who's under the cross, what we're talking about is the vocabulary of living life beneath the cross and how this story is weighty and pressing and transforming. So uh, I've mentioned the first three words. Here's word number four, if you're still taking notes. Humility. Humility. Someone has said, nothing keeps you more out of the devil's reach than humility. Someone else has said, the three most important spiritual qualities go something like this. Humility, humility, and number three, humility. 
There is no way to properly understand what God has done for us in Christ without walking away from this story and this scene saying, to God be the glory and may all pride and arrogance and self-sufficiency and supremacy, you and I stand guilty before the cross of the, of the crucifixion of the Son of God. You and I were there. Were you there when they crucified the Lord? Isaiah 53 says that we were. Because he was crushed for our iniquities. He was bruised for our sins. And by his stripes we are healed. So I don't know what this did for Barabbas, but it should have humbled him. I don't know what it did for Simon of Serene. We know a little bit more about that, but, but it, was, it was a humbling experience for him. It, it was a, literally a weighty, breaking experience. And clearly these women lamenting and mourning, they're humbled, although a bit off base, about what they see happening. Is there any of that in you and me that this is how we approach Holy God, we say with Isaiah, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell among a people of unclean lips. I deserve to be under that same sentence. And we see this all the time in life. Uh, Darrell, speaking about the food pantry, there was a gentleman who comes through really regularly, and he made a comment to me a couple of weeks ago as I walked to his door and and put another bag of food in. He says, you know, he says, man, this weather here today is absolutely perfect. It's beautiful. He says, but it makes you feel kind of guilty being in weather like this when down in Florida, they have been absolutely devastated by a hurricane. Now, what he was doing in that moment was expressing something that he felt on the inside that I think relates to humility. He recognized that here today we have it so good. But somewhere else there are other people who are suffering and they have it so bad. That created something with him that he expressed to me. And you and I are living under the sentence of the cross, which leads to the joy of the resurrection. And every day we ought to walk in the humility of knowing that relative to what we deserve and what we earn, y'all, we have it so good compared to how bad it would be to remain under the sentence and the judgment that Jerusalem, Jerusalem was about to be in. And that's why he said, don't weep for me. Weep for the human condition that is the rejection of God and the gospel that is going to lead the Romans to, in AD 70, put Jerusalem in absolute ruin. The cross presses us into a life of humility because we recognize the incongruency of our own sin and guilt relative to His purity and His holiness and His grace. 
And that's why I need to start every day preaching the gospel to myself, preaching this part of the gospel to myself, so that I'll enter Monday morning and Tuesday morning and whatever meeting and whatever interaction you have, so that we enter those moments starting low. Word number five, hunger. Hunger. The cross creates within us a passion, a hunger. It presses us into this new heart and this new desire that, that trumps and, 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 and tops every other desire that, that we could have as, as human beings. And really what I was aiming at was not just hunger for God and not just hunger for the life of discipleship, but, but really hunger for and, and passion for the Word of God. Passion and hunger for the Word of God. And here's why. The glory of man is fading. Like the flowers and the grass, we're here and we're gone. Our glory is momentary and fleeting, Isaiah says and Jesus says. But the Word of God stands forever and it is the Word of God which empowered and caused to be this whole story of the cross. That's why Jesus, as He went to the cross, said He must go to the cross. Why? Because the sovereign Word of God had determined that that was so. So Pilate's not in control. Herod's not in control. Barabbas is not in control. Simon of Cyrene's not in control. The weeping women are not in control. Ultimately, what's driving this whole narrative and story is the Word of God. That's why it happens. That's why Jesus kept quoting the Word of God throughout His life and ministry, but even from the, the, the steps to Golgotha, He's quoting the Word. So here's what He says later in Luke 24. As he's explaining to the disciples, you foolish men, you should have known. He starts preaching the words of God from the Old Testament to them. And their hearts start burning with this passion for truth and word from God. They go back to Jerusalem. And that created within the early church a passion for the Word of God, a hunger for the Word of God. These words are alive. They're true. Now notice Herod, he, he had no interest in truth. He mocked the truth. He mocked Christ. Yeah, 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 whatever. Pilate caved. He felt what was true, but didn't have the heart and the conscience and the, the, the strength to, to put into practice the truth. But you and I know the truth. And we preach the truth. And those who live life under the cross have a hunger, a hunger for God's Word because that is the, the, the power behind the narrative and, and our glory and our all that's fading. But the Word endures forever. And I think the story of the cross not only points to that, but, but proves that. All of this was foretold in the Old Testament. It came to be as Jesus fulfilled the words of the Old Testament. And then the Old Testament also promised the resurrection and the glory that was to come. This is a beautiful story. 
And like the disciples on the road to Emmaus, it will warm and change and move in our hearts as well. As I said last week, Jesus said nothing to Herod because he had no desire for the truth. But those who hunger and thirst after righteousness will be filled. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds from the mouth of God. Man, taking a side road here, was, was Tennessee Vol Nation hungry to beat Alabama or what? Good grief, they were starving. <laughs> you see, all that passion and, and desire just overflow into insanity and pandemonium, right? That's human level passion. That's human level desire. I've been there. We've all been there. Bryson was talking about it yesterday. The Braves won the World Series last year. <laughs> and how long did that euphoria last? I don't know. Now that they're out of it, it doesn't feel so great anymore, does it? Enough of sports. I must move on. What are the words? Humility, hunger, the cross presses us into that kind of life. What are your other two words, Pastor, that, that you're promising us this morning? The next word is love. Love. Who crucified Jesus? It wasn't Pilate. I mean, it was on the human level. It wasn't Pilate so much for fear. It wasn't the Jews. I mean, it was, but it really wasn't for envy. It wasn't Judas. I mean, it kind of was for money. But ultimately, it was the Father who sent the Son to die out of, out of love. Amazing love in this story. How could it be that, that you, my God, would die for me? All of our hymns point to this, man. All the hymns on the cross. What should we do? Here, here, Lord, I give myself away. What else could I do? Amazing love. This is how God has loved us. And then we are to walk in love in light of the greatest love that's ever been. He lays down his life for his friends. Why does he suffer? Why is he sentenced? Why is there mourning? Why is there crying? Jesus is going to bear the judgment that I deserve, which is worse, so that I could go free. And he does it all for love. So we are called to walk in love, and the whole New Testament works this out. If we are not working out loving others based on the love God has shown from the cross... I don't know how else to say it, but it, that's, that's just, there's a theological phrase for that, and it's this. It, that's just messed up. Just messed up. There was a uh, pastor search committee, and this church was looking for a new preacher. They had one guy on the committee who just didn't really get the process based on what I was reading. He just didn't really get it. 
So they sent him to hear the young guy preach, and he goes to church by himself, and he hears the sermon, and he goes back to the committee, and the committee says to this man, okay, tell us about the sermon that this young man preached, and tell us what your thoughts were. And he says to the committee, I, I thought he did an excellent job with the sermon. They said, what was it on? He said, stewardship. <laughs> and he said he had three points. The first point was earn all you can. He said the second point, save all you can. He said, but the third point messed it all up for me. And they said, what was the third point? <laughs> he said, give all you can. <laughs> He said, that third point ruined it for me. <laughs> and oftentimes that is our reaction and that is our response to self-giving and self-sacrifice and uh, using our lives and our talents and our resources for the, the glory of God and, and for others. But if we sit at the feet of the cross or at the foot of the cross or, or if we're like Barabbas or if we're like Simon or if we're like the daughters of Jerusalem and we see this love being expressed here Lord I give myself away this all that I can do life under the cross will be compelled and moved to a life of of love 1 Corinthians 13, love. I'm not going to work through that one. Let's go to the last word. The last word is endurance. There it is on the screen. That's so good. <laughs> all right, we're there. You've endured almost to the end of this one. But there is a spiritual endurance which comes from the life of the cross. Notice how the enemies of God were not strong enough to bear the pressing voices of the mobs. And they caved against their own consciences. They're so weak and so insecure and so fearful and threatened by Christ, the gentle, humble shepherd who is also, we know, sovereign king. But we are called to perseverance rather than complacency. And when you see someone like Simon of Serene carrying the cross behind Jesus, you see there inspiration for endurance. My cross I'll carry till I see Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Spurgeon says that Christ bore a cross for us, not that we would escape our cross, but that we would be able to endure our cross. So the ultimate inspiration is not just Simon of Serene and the fact that he was a good first disciple and that he was taking up a cross and following Jesus and felt the weight of that. He felt the pressure of that. He, he was voluntold for that. What we need to see is that that sentence changed his life for the better. What's the rest of the story of what happened to Simon of Serene? Well, there's evidence in the New Testament that Simon of Serene endured 
and became a believer. And then that impacted his family and the church community. So the fact that Simon of Cyrene took up his cross and followed Jesus had an impact upon his life that changed the whole trajectory. Now you should ask, where's the evidence for that in the Word of God? Well, here it is. I'm going to go back to the first page of my notes and read again. I'm not sure I read this last Sunday morning. But Mark 15, 21 is more specific of Simon of Cyrene. And it says that they pressed into service. There's the life of the the, the disciple. They pressed into service a passerby coming from the country named Simon of Cyrene. And then in parenthesis it has this. He's the father of Alexander and Rufus to bear Jesus' cross. Now let me, don't miss this. Mark's audience would have known who Simon of Cyrene was and is by these two sons that are mentioned, Alexander and Rufus. Now, normally in the Bible, people are described, I would be Neil Aubrey, son of Alfred Aubrey, pointing back to my dad. That's how I would be labeled and identified. This is interesting in that they say Simon of Serene is not the son of someone. He is the father of someone. Now, there were kids that used to come over and play at our house in our community when my son Eli was smaller and I was no longer Neil Aubrey, I was Mr. Eli. A few years ago a guy stopped by, he said, Mr. Eli, it was one of Eli's old friends. Who is Simon of Serene? Well, y'all know, he's Rufus and Alexander's dad. Well, who were Rufus and Alexander? They were known because they were believers and they were Christians in the Roman church. And if you look at Romans 16, 13, I think it is. I guess we could do that if you'll hold off lunch just a moment. Romans chapter 16, verse 13. uh, Paul tells the Romans to greet Rufus. A choice man in the Lord, also his mother and mine. Are y'all connecting the dots? I know I had advanced preparation. Simon of Serene endured. And his children became prominent believers in the church. So he would have come to the conclusion to say, I showed up in Jerusalem and these Roman soldiers forced on me this sentence of carrying the cross. But let me just say, as I look back on my life story, that was the best thing that ever happened to me. Because I was released from one sentence, which is far worse And placed under another sentence which leads to glory and salvation. Now, I didn't understand it all at the time. But man, that was pressing me into freedom. It was pressing me into selflessness. It was pressing me into love. It was pressing me into glory. That's our motivation for enduring life under the cross. is because we know that we are absolutely secure in Christ. 
And if he has begun a good work in us, we know he will complete the good work in us. So every day we live under the sentence of the cross. And it's the sentence of the cross that changes the trajectory of our life in eternity so that we begin to bear these marks of repentance and faith and worship and love and on and on and on. Make me a captive, Lord, and then I shall be free. Force me to render up my sword, and I shall conqueror be. I sink in life's alarms when by myself I stand. Imprison me within your arms, and strong shall be my hand. Jesus was sentenced. I pray that you and I are sentenced. And captive and captivated by, by the love that God has shown to us in the good news. It changes the whole trajectory of life and eternity for every single one of us. Have you decided to follow Jesus? I think we sang that last week. I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Though none go with me, no turning back. My cross I'll carry till I see Jesus. Amen. Father, thank you for this morning and with time in your word. Uh, so much here. Help us to put our sorrow and pity in the right direction. Not upon Christ. Not upon servants of Christ, missionaries of Christ, those who are suffering for Christ. They're to be honored. They, they, they are to be uh, inspirations to us. May we truly feel sorrow toward the human condition that led to the cross of Christ. In Him is power, in Him is glory, in Him is true reward and honor. Help us to see all of this in the sentencing of Christ to be our crucified Savior. We look forward to hearing more about the cross because, Lord, it leads to the resurrection. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You come as we sing our hymn of invitation.
am praying about this afternoon. A young man named Manny Farley, okay, he's 15 years old. Uh, this past week, a virus, uh, a strange virus attacked his heart, and he had to immediately go to Eggleston, and the family today is going to see if there's any brain activity, and if there's not, they're going to take him off life support because he's been there several days. But Manny Farley is the grandson of Miss Ann Parker, who we know because she attended here with Billy for, uh, for quite some time. So, and then Erica also sent me information on that because she works with uh, the daughter, Mindy. Okay, um, so let's pray for Manny Farley and, and that family. Don't forget Judy Whittemore's family and continue to pray for Mr. Joe. And then Walter Watkins, a lot of y'all knew uh, Walter Watkins. He passed away this week. Uh, he was another one that we knew uh, through the food pantry ministry, and really a lot of people in Heard County knew Walter. Let's pray for that family. And then Alice Wells' brother died that uh, Mr. Jackie had mentioned prayer for. Let's pray for the, uh, the Jones family. On Tuesday the 25th, Jackie starts a new Bible study on Tuesday night. So, no, if we... Hey, yeah. Amen. Continue to share the message. Thank you, Mr. Jackie. Um, was there anything else that we were supposed to mention? Amen. Amen. Thank you. Uh, thank y'all for the backpacks. Tonight they'll go to the annual meeting in Villarica, as Bryson mentioned earlier. So appreciate the ministry and support there. Miss Judy. be in prayer for that need as well. Okay. Winston. Y'all have a great afternoon. Catherine, will you lead us please? In our we have meeting. choir at five. Adults are going to the conference at six and then children and youth are both meeting here at six. Um, I'm going to change up our benediction for the month and we're going to sing No Other Name. No other name but the name of Jesus. No other name but the name of the Lord. No other name but the name of Jesus is worthy of glory and worthy of honor and worthy of power and of praise. Y'all have a great week.